beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Despite the fact that we talk about all kinds of things on 10 things to tell you, one of the things we've barely ever discussed on this show is money. Even though on a loose poll that I ran on social media, you told me that money was one of the things you wished people talked more openly about. A lot of us are flying kind of blind in our money situation. We don't know if we're making enough, are we saving enough, are we spending or investing it right? How can one person afford XYZ when I don't think they make that much more than I do? Or how much money could I actually make if I started a side hustle? The money talk is layered, it is confusing, but I am excited to talk about it today with my guest, Caitlin Magnuson, otherwise known as the freelance CFO. And while there's a million ways that we could talk about money, we are going to focus on that last question about side hustles. And I chose this topic for a few reasons. One, because I have been a freelance worker my entire adult life. Yes, even when I worked in television production, I was not an employee. I was a freelancer. And now, of course, I work for myself on the internet. But I also frequently see people curious about this topic and unsure where to ask. More than ever, the pandemic has made us 
reevaluate our careers and think about how we want to spend our days and our time, if we want to pursue our passions, if it's time to monetize a creative pursuit. And so while our conversation is mostly aimed at those starting a freelance endeavor or thinking about starting a freelance endeavor, I've been in this game for over a decade. I still learned a lot from chatting with Caitlin. After you listen, you can find out more about Caitlin by going to the show notes at 10thingstotellyou.com or directly to her website at thefreelancecfo.biz. Here's my conversation, 10 Financial Tips for Going Freelance with Caitlin Magnuson, the Freelance CFO. Caitlin, welcome to 10 Things to Tell You. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. And I'll tell you why in a second, because it's sort of inspiring, sort of embarrassing, but I'm glad you're here and we're going to talk about money. But before we get like into the tips and sort of why someone might need to know these things that we're going to talk through, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience a little bit? Tell us who you are. I love your business name. I think it's uh, super smart. So just tell us a little bit about you. Okay. My name is Caitlin Magnuson and I run the freelance CFO, but I am a millennial money expert, uh, meaning that I am a millennial dealing with money in a generally expert manner. Um, I don't work exclusively with millennials. I work with a lot of different people from a lot of backgrounds, but I got started Oh my God, in high school, um, middle school, really being really great at math. And my parents didn't really know what they're going to do with me. I had a tough time keeping up in school because I was so bored and ended up really finding my calling in college, working for a small business and realizing what an impact that I could make in a small family owned business and really just sort of getting into the ground floor level of like, what makes it tick? You know, what do you have to do? Because it's so very different than when you think of just like public accounting, you know, you're not working in a large corporation where you're only in accounts receivable and there might be 10 other people you're doing, you know, the shipping, you're doing the business registration, you're, you know, making sure that everything is taken care of that you absolutely can. And my, my business was previously named left brain results because that, you know, it was really the left brain side of the business. Um, but a lot of people didn't really get that. And so when I rebranded a few years ago, the freelance CFO was a little bit more, I think, easier to understand when I was chatting about it to people. Cause they're like, Oh, you do that for other businesses because so many businesses that I work with don't need a full-time person. You know, you can, you can very easily get by with a contract individual to help you make sure your money is handled properly. I love the name freelance CFO because it made complete sense to me. The second I saw it, I heard you on another show, which is what made me glad to have you come on 10 things to tell you because freelancing is obviously becoming more and more popular. I've always been a freelancer. I moved to Los Angeles and started working in TV production and those staff jobs are few and far between. So a lot of entertainment industry people are freelancers. They're not, it's not creative work. It's just freelance work. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had like a freelance mindset in terms of like my taxes and all of that kind of thing. But then when I started my blog, which was over 11 years ago now, it is a different, it was a little bit of a different world. And I'm just being totally honest with you. I never quite made like the full transition to taking care of my money in the smartest possible way. For many years as a blogger, I didn't make any money. I mean, so I had some money coming in, but I had so many expenses that I was, you know, breaking even for many years. And so 
you know, that was fine. I can keep a spreadsheet and whatever, but like, as time has gone on, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I have never really like wrangled it as smartly (laughs) as I should have. And now the podcast is doing great. You know, I got a book deal and whatever, and I've hired outside help eventually. Like I do have some sort of helping me, but I still feel like it's not as streamlined as it should be. And so that's like one of my tasks for 2021 actually is to kind of get all of my finances in a place where I understand every piece of it, um, where it's all in a manageable, like organized way where if something happened to me, God forbid, someone could also come in and understand every piece of it, you know, that it's all organized. And so that's sort of been on my mind. And then the other part of it, like from an audience point of view, is I've just noticed in the last year of COVID, so many people have transitioned to some form or another of freelance or they want to. So either their job necessitated it because we're we're work from home, people were laid off, or people had like a passion renewed. They're like, you know, we've all been in this very weird situation that has made people be like, what do I want to do with my life? And so it's made them either you know, drop everything and change careers or like have a side hustle or kind of maybe monetize a hobby. There's a lot of different reasons that I think people are kind of pursuing doing freelance work, whether they're selling on Etsy or whether they're becoming a virtual assistant. I mean, there's just so many things and I keep seeing it. And so I want to avoid people who are new to this of kind of getting a decade down the road like I did and being like, why is this all such a mess? You know, I want to help people out now and give them, I'm going to have you give them 10 tips, you know, to kind of, when you're at the beginning of this journey to like, have it be clean for, as you grow, hopefully. uh, And, you know, that as it will make sense. So I find a lot of clients are actually in like one of the two realms, either they're like, yeah, I've been doing this and it's been working. And like, you know, I've been paying the bills or not making enough profit to really worry about it. And then I have the other ones that are like, oh my God, I don't feel like I could take a single dollar until I have everything in place. Um, So I feel like your situation is not nearly as uncommon as you may feel like it is, but yes, whenever possible, I would love for everyone to be able to start off on a really clean foot and you can do it relatively inexpensively, which I think is the greatest part about what we're going to talk about today. Okay. That is, that is important because when you're starting out, you know, you don't have a lot of extra. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, for, you know, for most people, I guess I'm generalizing, but if you, you're so overwhelmed oftentimes with whatever the thing is that you're doing, the work of what you're doing. So you don't also want to be overwhelmed with this, you know, the business side of it, the, all the things that could also overwhelm you, it will paralyze you. And so then what happens is a lot of times in a freelance world is you're just like, I can't think of all these things. This isn't my skill set. I don't know how to do this. And I don't know how to find out how to do this. And so we just get paralyzed and we either don't do it at all, which then gets us into tax or financial trouble later, or we don't move forward in this thing that maybe we're dreaming about, or we really would be good at, but we just can't, you know, handle this other part of it. So yeah, lots of facets to this, but I've never talked about money like this on the show. I don't know why, but because it's not my, I don't <laughs> I do money well, money. That's what, yeah. right? <laughs> but we're doing it a first time for everything. So let's start with your tip number one for freelancers just getting started. Okay. So for anyone that has a day job or a current job of any sort that, you know, maybe that's why you're looking to build your business or to start your side hustle, or maybe, you know, you're just wanting a career change. Like we talked about 
Don't quit your day job right away. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see happen. You can do so much and give your baby business a little bit more runway and take some of the pressure off of yourself and your business, especially if your household relies on your income by staying in your job a little bit longer. It allows you the financial runway to also self-fund a lot of your business endeavors and to get these things set up. And I'm not saying you need to stay there for the next three years, but even if you can give yourself like three to six months or three to 12 months, it gives you so much more of a runway. I actually did that when I rebranded everything. I took a day job on, it was fantastic. It let me qualify for the house, which was great, really easy. I redid my whole business and it took the pressure off of as a primary earner, it took the pressure off of me having to make sure our mortgage could be paid because, you know, my business was in the state of flux. So that's, that's number one for sure. Okay. Number one is don't quit your day job yet. Yes, yes, yet, yet. No. And I, I think that that's, that gets overlooked sometimes, but it makes a really big difference. Okay. What's number two? Take the first step sooner than you think you should, which feels like it's a little bit in juxtaposition to the first one, but taking aligned action is going to get you so much further than waiting until something is perfect. And this is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. It is better to do the thing, to start the Instagram account, to throw a quick Squarespace website up or a Facebook page or something and just start promoting your services or your product or whatever it is that you're building sooner than later. Even if my business has gone through three name changes in the last decade, like you can, you can evolve, you can give yourself permission to change, to pivot, to do what you need to do. But if you wait until everything feels perfect before you get it out there, it might be years down the road. Oh, that's so true. So wait, that tip is take the first step sooner rather than later. Yes. But that's like one of the scariest things. Yes. Yes. That's why, that's why it's so high up on the list. Um, no, I mean, even if like when I, even now I'll do that when I feel really overwhelmed by something, I will break tasks and do what's the next step that I could do today. What's something that in moving, like if, if my goal is up here and I'm moving towards that goal, I don't need to know steps one through 15. I need to know what the next step is and I need to take it. And I think that helps prevent some of the overwhelm or the you know inaction that comes with feeling overwhelmed by wanting to have things be perfect or wanting to know how it all plays out. And I think there's something to be said for surrendering to the process a little bit, but you still taking action. So even if it's scary, even if you're worried that people on Facebook are going to judge you because you're posting about your new business venture, if you don't start today, you'll be in the same spot, like six months from now, like imagine how much further along you could be, you know, in your business, in your endeavors, if you took one step every day. Yeah. One of my life mantras that I sort of talk about all the time is start where you are, which, you know, you don't need to go back. You don't need to backtrack and, and clean up every single thing to start cleaning something today, or you don't need to like think forward and have a five-year plan either. Just like start where you are, where you are is right here. I also combat the scariness of first steps or, or the fear of being judged or all those things that we always have. I always start those with a little more transparency than some people do. So I think that sometimes people feel like the bold move is to be like, here is my new business and here it is. And it's like my new dream and like, blah, 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 which I mean, that might be a little bit true, but they, you kind of feel like you have to almost like be an aggressive statement about it. 
instead being like, here's a thing I'm trying, not apologetically or not, you know, I mean, like kind of mind the energy around it, but to be like, I really want to try this new thing. So here's what I'm starting. Um, it might evolve. It might, you know, I'm learning as I go. Like, I mean, they're positive statements still, but like, I, I feel like it's harder to do a name change later or do a whole pivot or decide it's not for you if you've been really definitive at the very beginning. And, and I don't think you have to be definitive at the very beginning. You can be like, I am doing my hand lettering on Instagram right now and I hope to sell it on Etsy or I put a few pieces up on Etsy if you're going to go ahead and start. But you don't have to be like, this is my opus. I mean, you don't just- right. Do it's too hard to do that. And that's what makes everybody scared. If you're putting it up with an energy, again, I think it's important that an, an unapologetic energy, but of like a, I'm starting this thing or I'm trying this thing, or, um, you know, if anyone has any advice, great. That kind of thing to me, it takes the scariness out of saying something that, that I'm going to change my mind on later. Like you're kind of taking the ego out of it of like, you know, when you, when you do have to change it up if it, it, it evolves or you need to change or quit altogether that you haven't like made this big declaration right no I think that's that's actually brilliant I haven't heard of I haven't heard it phrased quite that way but you know essentially starting by giving yourself permission for like hey I'm doing this thing and I'm excited but it may change or evolve or like cease to be all together but we're gonna see where it goes and then it, it makes it it's almost like you're gamifying it or just like making it a little bit lighter and more fun instead of like, this is the thing that I'm going to do for the next 35 years as my, you know, soul earning thing. And if it doesn't work, we're all screwed. And I think that people do like to cheer you on. I mean, people do. And so if you're like, I'm trying this thing, like <laughs> then people can be like, oh, I can't wait to see where this goes. Or like, and then when you pivot, they're like, oh, smart. Like, yay. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like people are on your journey. It's sort of like that Austin Cleon book that show your, show your work. I don't know if you know, that's like a, a little cute little coffee table book of like, kind of show your work as you are going. This is what's happening. This is my journey. You know, you're not a brick and mortar business. I mean, that's all we're talking about today where you have to just like be exactly what you are. You are sort of figuring it out. And most well-meaning people in your life are fine to sort of be on that journey with you. I think when we get a lot of judgment or feel a lot of judgment is when we've said a thing and then we definitively say another thing. And then we definitively say another thing that makes you look wish-washy. You know, right. that's the wishy-washy flakiness of like, what is this person doing right. versus, you know, y'all I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. We're going to see where it goes. We're going to see where it goes. I'm super excited about it. Um, and when you say like, I'm super excited about it, a lot of times, hopefully there's people in your life that will be like, I'm super excited about it with you, you know, like that. Yeah. Otherwise we might need to reevaluate who you have in your circles, but yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Tip number three. So this is the first one that actually requires you to spend a little bit of money, uh, pay for a consult with a financial professional and a lawyer before you get going or get too far down the rabbit hole. Those two things 
can help you dramatically decrease your learning time for what you need to be doing. Because for example, if you're, you know, in California or Massachusetts or Illinois or states that are more expensive to start an LLC off the bat, you may have someone, you know, after having a conversation and a dialogue say, Hey, we actually recommend like you register as a sole proprietor for this first year and we can change. Or if you're in another state, like, Oh, you should be a partnership. It lets you get set up and understand like, are you going to need to be collecting sales tax on what you're doing? Like what roadblocks could potentially pop up in the next year? Cause I don't recommend doing them more than like one or two times a year, but what do they foresee for a new business owner that you need to be aware of so that you can set yourself up for success. And the same thing on the legal side. And this doesn't necessarily apply quite as much if you're using a third-party platform like Etsy or Upwork or something else. Um, but if you're in a service industry where, you know, like I'm performing financial services or if someone else is performing like videography services, you want to make sure that you have a good basic contract that has been reviewed by someone. Wait, so I understood the legal one. What was the other one? A consult, like an accountant consult? Yes. An accountant okay. consult. So get a consult. So step three is pay for a consult call with a lawyer and or accountant. I recommend you do both so that you can, because they have overlap, but they do not 100% overlap in their fields. And how do you find that person? <sighs> Generally referrals um, or Instagram, depending on where you spend a lot of your time or Facebook groups, some are industry and some are location-based depending on, especially for legal but um, for accountants, you're looking more for someone that has experience in your field that you're looking to go into. And you're looking for someone that either has been referred to you or that has good reviews that you feel really comfortable with. With a lawyer, you're going to also want to feel good, you know, working with them because there's plenty of people out, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You can always find someone that will vibe with, you know, who you are as a person. And so when you're looking for a lawyer, you want to make sure that they're licensed to do business in your state which most of them will be very upfront about um, so that they know some of the nuances of what you're looking to do and how you're looking to do it. And you also want to make sure that they are the type of lawyer that you need to be working with, because if they're not practicing, you know, if they're practicing criminal law, you don't normally want them reviewing your, you know, business contracts. Wait. So like literally tell me what to Google. If I'm going to start an Etsy shop in Los Angeles is where I am. I'm not PS. This is all theoretical. Everyone, please don't search for my non-existent Etsy. Would I Google creative entrepreneur accountant, Los Angeles? Like, what do I Google? God, I never Google for that sort of thing. It's all these Facebook groups that I get recommendations for things like that. Um, but Wait, yes, what do you mean? Totally... What Facebook okay. groups? Okay, industry Facebook groups. So like if you are going to be doing, what was, did you say hand lettering was your example? That was my example. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Let's say you're going to be doing hand lettering and you're in a group on Facebook for like hand lettering business owners, which I'm sure there is one out there or multiple out there. That would be something where like, I would go, like I work with a lot of creatives and there's a couple of Facebook groups that I'm in making business moves is great. There's the legal page, which is a legal one that I'll talk about in a second. And there's a few other ones. And if I'm looking for something specific, I would go in there and say, Hey guys, this is where I'm located. This is what I do. This is what I'm looking for. Does anyone have any recommendations? And even if their recommendations don't fit for where you are or what you need, a lot of times contacting some of those people in there will then allow you to find someone that does it in your area. Like I know if someone comes to me and they're a, a tech startup, I don't work with tech startups. And so if someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, I need, you know, do you do this? I'm able to refer out to someone that I know does that specializes in that. And so getting to the referral can be kind of the difficult part, but yeah, I've had people Google, I think literally like entrepreneur, what, what did my Google results say? I think it was like freelance CFO, entrepreneur CFO, 
uh, freelance accountant, th like things of that nature will get them to show up. Like I show up as one of their search results. I would do the same thing with a lawyer, but a really good one for a lot of creatives and service-based industries is, um, I want to say, I think her last name is Griffith, but Paige Griffith with the legal page. Uh, P-A-I-G-E. And she runs a huge Facebook group that is a wealth of knowledge um, that I utilize quite often, actually. But if she's not able to work in your area or things of that nature, then she would totally have like, I can refer out to XYZ. So just finding someone that you like that can then refer out, I think is really where it's at. Okay. That's so good. And I know I asked for Google, but I do think that there is a wealth of information in Facebook groups about all kinds of things. And that even if you're not in a Facebook group for your exact niche or whatever your exact thing is, first of all, find that because I think it is really helpful. I'm in a couple of different, and some of them are very large podcast groups and people ask questions in there that I didn't I don't, even if it doesn't apply to me, I usually learn something from the mm -hmm. answers or sometimes they ask a question and I didn't even know, like I needed to know that question. And then I was like, oh yeah, I actually do need that. So finding Facebook groups, big general ones for your thing, if you haven't already done that is super, super helpful. And then even if it's like a hand lettering group, let's say, so you're in there talking about hand lettering, but of course you can also ask business questions in there or whatever. Same in my podcast groups. We talk about all kinds of things of, of podcasting in there, including business things. So yeah, that's a super helpful thing. Probably more helpful than Google, honestly, because, well, just because it's real people doing real recommendations. Yeah. Okay. Well, and yeah. Google can be great for getting, you know, options if you don't have that, but I, I feel like the person, the personal recommendation helps. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U-Y-O-U. -U. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. 
I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, number four. Okay, register your business in your state and with the IRS. Now, this is where that consult that we just talked about comes in handy. Because like I said, in a few states, it may not be ideal or you may not know what type of structure to register yourself as. But even if it's a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, which by the way, is like 99% of what I recommend when you're first getting started, it's relatively affordable. It does not make your taxes much more complicated than they need to be. It doesn't require a separate chunk of returns. And it really dovetails nicely into step number five, because in order to open a separate business checking account, which is step number five, you need to have your registration paperwork for the state and for the IRS. And that gives you basically an EIN number, which is your business's version of a social security number. So if you're a sole proprietor or you're not even registered yet and you're doing business and you have to give like your W-9 information to Etsy, you have to put your social security number on there. If you are a registered business with an EIN number, even if you're a sole proprietor, you can get an EIN number. You use that EIN number instead. And so it's one less place where you have to be doling your social security number out to people, um, which I know that we have to give it for just about everything nowadays, but one place that we don't have to. And again, lets you open the actual separate business bank account. So register in the state and with the IRS. And then Laura, if you're good, I'm going to roll into number five and elaborate on the business banking. Well, wait, but hold on. I do have a question (laughs) because I had to deal with this question a couple years ago. And like I said, I sort of started to make more money than I had been making as a blogger and, you know, needed to change up some things. What do you do if you've been doing this for a while and you've been doing it using your social security number and you're like, you know what, I need to do this differently. Like if you're a few years down the road, you've sold some things on Etsy and you're starting to grow. Can you start after you started? Like, yes, 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 yes. You totally can. So using, using Etsy as an example, um, let's say that you're a sole proprietor, right? You've just been operating under your name, or maybe you have a little DBA for your business name. And you're like, you know what? I want to be legit. I want to be an LLC. I want to get all these things set up. When you get your EIN number from the IRS and your state registration, you should be able to go into your sort of back back end of Etsy um, and update all of your information in there. Same thing if you have a payment processor like Stripe or Square, you're able to go update all of that information in there so that you're able to have a relatively seamless transition. Now, the one caveat to that is, it's really great if you can do that on a year break, you know, like you register the end of December and like you put everything into effect January 1st. However, that very rarely actually happens in the real world because that's a really tough time of year to plan things. So if you do that, just understand that you'll have two businesses for that year. So let's say that you have, you know, Laura's hand lettering 
and you're a sole proprietor, and then you become Laura's Hand Lettering LLC. If you switched over June 1st, the first five months of the year would be your sole proprietor, and you'd have all your reports and everything from that. And the second seven months of the year would be under your LLC. And then going forward, it would be just your LLC. So it's just a transitional year, but I do that all the time with clients. It's really not a big deal to switch things over. Okay, good. That was super good. Okay. Now, now you are able to okay. roll right into number five. <laughs> okay. Number five, open a separate business bank account and literally, okay, that's going to be bad. If you disregard all of the other things that we talk about here, And you're like, you know what? I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the finances, whatever it may be. You know, maybe you're really bootstrapping this. Do not disregard number five, open a separate business account. It does not have to be business specific. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, Wells Fargo business checking. If you don't, if you're not registered as a business, it can be a separate capital one, you know, free checking account or online business bank account. It doesn't matter. Run every single thing you do for the business through that bank account. Because then if you don't have bookkeeping software set up, if you don't have any of these other things done, you can get to the end of the year, you can pull an export of all those transactions from that one bank account for the year, and you'll know that everything in there is business. If you don't, and you co-mingle things, and you have you know your personal checking tied to your Etsy, which legally there's nothing wrong with, you'll get to the end of the year and you'll have to go through and you'll have to highlight. And I've had clients have to do it, you know, their credit card and their personal checking and their savings and whatever else they put money on and pull all that information together. And it can be a real beast to get through. So a separate checking account. Now, if you've registered your business, I normally recommend that you set up a checking account, a savings account, and that you open a credit card in the business's name if you can. And that will allow you to have your tax savings, to have all of your income come in, and to be able to earn points and put most of your expenses on the credit card, which you can then transfer points to yourself personally, which would be way after step 10. Okay. Yes. This makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I think maybe just because I'm thinking like a 40 one-year-old married with children woman, that this seems more obvious when you're like, why can't, I don't want to mingle things in with my personal account. But if you're, you know, listening to this in a, a different season of life and you're, you know, single and you, the, the expenses are very minimal, then you think, oh, well, sure. I'll just like, I don't want to, it's a hassle to start a whole new thing. And you're saying, no, always start a whole new thing. Correct. I also always. think that's something that almost everyone can do. I mean, there are, you can start with the free checking account. Most banks offer that. Of course I log in and check my bank account, um, expenses and income like all the time, just to make, make sure there's nothing, there's nothing weird on there. Yeah. My business is not complicated in any way. And I still check that. So yeah, I, that was intermingled with our personal stuff. I would be like, I don't even know what. Well, and that's the problem that it causes too. Like if you're trying to grow a side hustle or a business and you've got, it's really common to have it commingled, right? Because you're like, well, I started this out of necessity or I wasn't sure if it was going to take off. So like, I didn't want to open a whole new thing and well, now it has and oh crap, but you don't even know how, what your profitability is until you've gone through it. You know, you might think that you're fine because like you're paying the bills, but I've had it happen probably at least 50% of the time where someone we go through and we add it all up and they're like, oh, that's all that I did. Or, oh, those are my expenses. Cause you don't have a clear financial picture of what's going on. Yes. I would say I have that thought all the time of like, oh, I'm spending way more than I thought I was. And I didn't make as much as I thought I did, or, oh, this actually proved to be more than I thought it was going to be. You're right. Clarity is huge there. Okay. What is number six? Number six is buy and use contracts and stick to them. 
This can be a little bit easier said than done, I think, at least in my experience. So the contract, the purchasing of the contracts, not the end of the world. And again, uh, legal page, uh, Sam Vanderweelen, there's a lot of people that have contracts for purchase for creatives. And again, if you're selling through a third party, generally that portion of it's taken out of it because, you know, Etsy, Upwork, et cetera, have that. Hold, hold before we go further, because what contracts for what? Contracts for all sorts of things. So number one, you would want to have a contract. If you're a service provider, for example, you'd want to have a, like if you're doing copywriting or content writing or producing or editing or proofreading or any of these other things, you'd want to have a contract that covers the scope of the work, the payment schedule and the relationship between you and the client. And I made the mistake when I first got started of not, you know, it's, it's a few hundred dollars generally to get a decent contract template. And when I got started, it just wasn't something that I prioritized and knock on hypothetical wood. Um, it's not something that has bit me too badly, but I've had several clients that have had it bite them really badly. And the things that I have learned from that are that if you do not have contracts in place, it's one thing. If you have contracts in place and you do not stick to them or adhere to the contract terms, it's a whole other thing because, you know, I'll use one of them as an example. She's a, a copy and content writer and she had taken on this client. They had set deliverables in the contract that said, you know, funding will be released on these days in conjunction with like these, these deliverables coming through, you know, you'll have your sales page done on this day, your blogs done on this day, et cetera. Um, there was something in there about like, if there was a breakdown in communication on the client's end that it, you know, would extend these deadlines, but not the payments. That was noticed and agreed upon via email and on the phone, but there, there was never an addendum made to the contract to update those um, dates and deliverables and everything along those lines. So lo and behold, uh, he charged back five figures in payments and disputed it. And so far appears to have won it, despite the fact that he had verbally and through email committed to this. So, and I've seen this happen in a lot of other examples, but if you're going to put your contract in place, one contract, a contract is better than nothing Two, make sure you adhere to it. So like if you have late fees set up, you know, if a client pays five days late or something along those lines, stick to it and have them pay the fees, because if you don't enforce it equally, then it can make it so it doesn't necessarily stand up. If you then decide to enforce it piecemeal or haphazardly. So you're saying that because the deliverables were delayed because it just all took longer on the client's end. So then the copy editor couldn't get the things. And so then the client didn't pay was like, we well, didn't meet the deadline, even though. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And not only did he not finish paying her, he did a chargeback for what he had paid her for work that had been rendered and delivered. Well, that is, that is unethical and stupid. It, it, and it makes it me mad. Is. <laughs> it is. It's she's a really dear friend of mine, but no, it's, that's the worst example that I've had happen. Um, but he basically has enough money to continue fighting it. And so it's a, she might be right, but is it worth spending more in legal fees than what the project value was? Well, that's also true in freelance work for all kinds of things, maybe not five figures. I mean, that sounds like a, a very big project, obviously, but like, that's the thing. If your if service or product isn't worth of a legal fight and most freelance service and products are not unless they're really, you know, on an individual basis, they, they all add up to something maybe, yeah. but it's too hard to fight. And that, and a lot of times people take advantage of that because they know that. So that is some, that's kind of a, 
a thing to think about. That's unfortunate. Well, kind of like in a, in a product-based business, when you're looking at like, you know, you, you're going to have a certain amount of product that's defective, right. Or that is going to be a loss. I, I look at it to an extent, the same way for services, or even if you're selling through Etsy, like you're going to have a level of returns essentially. So make sure you're factoring that into your pricing. I think that you're, you know, obviously we're not planning for like 20%, um, but know that it is something that does happen. And the one thing that I always try to do is make sure that I, if someone has paid me in advance for work, that I am keeping that money in there, like a retainer or a deposit until the work has been rendered and completed and we've moved forward. So basically I'm not, you know, releasing that, those funds to myself until we're in the clear. Oh, that's smart too. That's a little bit down the road thinking than maybe where we're yes. talking today, but it, I think it is something to consider because a lot of times this goes back to what I was saying about getting paralyzed by decisions early on. I've seen creatives get burned early on or have something like this happen, you know, pretty early and it just bums them out so hard that they're like, I can't, I don't want to keep doing this if this keeps happening they really didn't anticipate it. And so they didn't factor it into their costs or whatever. So then they're out money, whatever the thing is. And so it's, it would be very easily to be discouraged by that kind of situation. But I think as we're talking about it, to know that it might happen, maybe we'll be less heartbreaking and be like, okay, no, it doesn't mean I have to like shut the whole thing down. Yes. Yes. It's not all over if one person files a charge back. Right. Okay. Okay, number six. What seven. Number? Oh, okay. Seven. Number, number seven. Here we so, go. Number seven. Hire help sooner than you think you can or you should. And I think that this is something, and when I say hire help, I mean in a variety of areas, depending on what you're looking for. This may be in your business or this may be in your personal life. If you don't have an area yet in your business that you feel comfortable letting go of or letting control of or being able to hire out, Hire a housekeeper if you don't already have a housekeeper. Hire, you know, someone to help with meal prep or someone to help free up time. Or, you know, if you have kids that you're picking up, anything that you're doing that you don't need to be doing while you're growing your business, if you can swing that in the budget, absolutely hire out. I did that the first couple of years that I was in business just to give you the bandwidth because, you know, like school schedules, I think are the worst thing ever to try and be working around because by the time you do drop off, like you get home, you have a couple of hours potentially plus errands to run. And then you're turning around to go grab them again. And it's just, it really, you know, chops your day up. If you're comfortable hiring in your business, the first hire that I would make would be a VA or a virtual assistant and a virtual assistant, much like their in-person counterparts can help you with things like email management can help. If you have systems that you need to get set up, can help send out emails. If you're sending out an email or a weekly newsletter, and you can start a lot of them on a really, really low amount of hours. So I think when I first got started, it was five hours a month that I had someone helping. Um, I mean, we're talking like, I think it was less than $200 and it was something that I felt really good because, you know, I think about it, I'm like, well, if I want to bring help on, like is it going to be this huge commitment that then I don't have the time or the capacity to manage? It's going to be more than I can afford. And that was really nice because as we needed more hours, we were able to grow together. And I was able to add, you know, 10 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours until I got to the point where I felt really comfortable. And we, ironically, we actually still work together to this day, but one real small note, do not feel like you have to be married to the person that you bring on to help you in any capacity. And that's something that I've had a problem with, you know, admitting that like, maybe it's not the greatest fit, right? You may have to kiss a couple frogs before you find your perfect VA or perfect, you know, housekeeper or, you know, mother's helper or anything along those lines that can help with all of this. 
there's no shame in that. You know, you're trying to find someone that not only can do the tasks that you need help with, but that also is a good fit for your personality. Okay. I have so many thoughts about this. So the actual tip that you're saying is to hire help earlier than you think you're able to, or can, or want to. And I couldn't agree with that part more because I just talked about on my podcast at the end of last year that in 2020, after working for a full decade, I hired people for the first time. I hired a virtual assistant and I hired a podcast editor. I had been doing every single task having to do with my podcast, book writing, social media, newsletters. I'd been doing it all by myself for a very, very long time. And it was like, as the years go went on, the harder it was to think about training someone new or to giving up control of something. It does not get easier as it goes on. It gets so much harder to explain your convoluted system in your head when if you had started with someone in the beginning who would have, who was a professional who would set up systems for you, <laughs> then it wouldn't be hard. You know, I mean, I really regret that I didn't hire, first of all, a virtual assistant. I want to talk more about that in a second earlier. And it wasn't for financial reasons. Even when I was blogging and barely making any money, I could have afforded to pay, like you're saying, a few hours a month or a few hours a week. I could have afforded a VA and then it would have freed me up to do to make more money. Frankly, mm-hmm. that's what happened. If I had someone doing the administrative tasks that I spent a lot of time on, I could have like written better or longer or you know more blog posts that then would have contributed to income and then it you know then it's a self-fulfilling cycle like then I would have been able to pay that person more and on and on. But I didn't do that and I'm talking about this because the the reason I didn't do it wasn't financial. The reason I didn't do it was um, a lot of mental hangups of feeling like I was getting too big for my britches. Sort of the idea of like, why would I hire someone to clean my house to help me in this way that would, would, would same idea, would, would free me up to do the other things that would contribute to the income of our household or, or whatever, because I know how to clean and I can certainly clean myself. Right. And we get really, we get really mental about it. We have all these hangups from cultural or from the way we were raised or from, you know, our family dynamic. I don't know. There's a million reasons why we talk ourselves out of hiring someone. We think we would be a bad boss or manager or whatever. Like, we think it would take them too long to train them. They would not do the, whatever the task is the same way we would do it. Like I, I had a lot of reasons why I didn't hire someone and they were all stupid. And, you know, when I did, I was like, oh, this is why I should have done this literally 10 years ago. And then with the podcast editing, that was a little bit different because, and I, but I think people will understand this. I like podcast editing. And I'm really picky about the way my podcast sounds and is edited. And so that was a control issue. And also like, well, it's hard to give up like a task you genuinely enjoy. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, well, that's not the thing I want to outsource. But the thing is, that is a thing that someone else can do, you know, that is just as good at it as I am, but I'm the only person who can do the creative part of my show, but there are people who can do the editing part of my show. And so I finally did it for a time's sake. I did it because I was launching a book and blah, blah, blah. 
And so in my mind, I was like, maybe this will just be temporary. <laughs> like maybe I'll take back the editing once I'm through this busy period. But the thing is, once you hand off something and someone else does it, takes it off your plate, it's like such a miracle. It's like amazing that you're like, oh no, never. I'll never, <laughs> I will never take that back. I'm glad you I know how to do me. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But also a little bit like house cleaning. And I know I'm using so many examples, but I think that people are following. I'm glad I know how to do it. I can do it. I, if, if, if I come to a place where I can't pay that person anymore to do those things, I'm really glad that I'm self-sufficient enough to be able to do it. But I'm also really glad that I'm in a place that that is a piece that I can outsource and, Mm. you know, and then just, yeah, just like remove it from my brain space. It's a huge, it's such a huge part of, because you cannot be creative. And I know that a lot of free freelance might not be creative, but like you cannot do your best work, creative or otherwise, if you're doing everything. Yes. You can't. It's really hard. And so clearly I had a lot of words. Oh, I was going to say about virtual assistants. Where do you recommend people find a virtual assistant? And I will just say before you answer that there is such a wide range of virtual assistants that do all kinds of different things, specialize in different things like social media, admin, like email and customer service and that kind of thing. There's like a range of tasks that they can do for you, depending on whatever your, whatever your business is. And there's what I found quite a range of pricing salaries as well. Mm-hmm. And I think pricing packages as well. So I found, I found VAs in several different places over the years, but I found one, one or two that I'd worked with on Upwork. I have a love-hate relationship with Upwork. I, I found a really great video editor on there that I love. And I found one other person that I work with that I really like, but it's been just for me platform-wise and maybe it's on my job listing ability, but I've had really good luck. There is one, and I wish I knew her name. There is a coach, I can, go, I can find it and I could send it to you, but there is a coach who trains VAs. And she has a really interesting model because she trains VAs. You know, there's like Pinterest VAs, which I I was looking for a Pinterest VA at the time, but Pinterest and other like different mediums that had been trained, gone through her courses, been certified. And basically she provides a matchmaking service where, you know, you can put that out and you can get bids in for what you're looking for, whether you're looking for beginner, intermediate, advanced, and what your, you know, budget and estimated hours are per month. And that was really nice. But to your point, and there's also Facebook groups. I know I don't use Facebook for much other than the groups, if we're being really honest, but I think being clear about what you need for a VA is really important too, because you brought up that there are so many different types of VAs. I started first with a general admin VA. I didn't know any better at the time. And so for me, it actually ended up being great because it let me realize like, oh, if something wasn't in their wheelhouse, like we're looking this summer to bring on a tech VA, um, you know, so th- there's different roles. So don't expect to have one VA that's going to do everything for you. You might find one that has a really good overlap with what you're looking for, but don't, you know, they're not going to be a jack of all trades and be doing this as a business. I mean, that's, that's the whole point is that they should be good at what they're doing in their sphere. And I have found a very wide variety of prices. I work right now exclusively with VAs that are in Canada and the U S and that's mostly because of time zones. Um, and the fact that no one's really traveling right now. So I don't care where they're actually located. So long as we have a relatively similar time zone, you get to evolve and grow. So like I started with five hours, I think it was five hours at like, 
think it was $25 an hour at five hours. And that was, that was fine at the time. Um, but you will find different packaging. Like you'll find some VAs will bill by the hour. Some will bill by the retainer, meaning that you retain them for X number of hours or X number of deliverables. And if you use those, great. If you don't also great, but they don't necessarily roll over to the next month. So, you know, you know that you have them for this amount of time. They plan for that. It's use it or lose it. Um, some allow rollover. It kind of depends, but there, there's a pricing structure out there. I would say for almost any business owner getting going. And so if you haven't found the right one, just be really upfront. Like, Hey, I'm just getting going. I'm looking to commit X, Y, Z financially. And I'm looking to have these things handled. Like, is this something that, you know, we can find. And I've done that before and it's, I've been really successful with it. And what would you say the range, the general range is? Because I do think even though VA is a really all encompassing term for a certain, you know, a helper a assistant, but there's all that can mean so many different things. What would you say is the general price range? Like I would say 15 to 35 an hour. If they're, that's US what I was going to say. That's why yeah. it's like, so it's such a wide. <laughs> and I, I caution assuming that they're us based, I caution using someone that's closer to the 15 side, but again, there's a budget for everyone at the $15 an hour rate. What happens I've found, cause I've, I've done this before and maybe, I don't know what, you know, where you've been at on it, but the $15 an hour range in order to be able to make a living off of it, they generally have to work a lot more hours and bring on a lot more clients. And I find that a lot of the VAs in that realm can be a little bit more scattered or not have quite as much one-on-one -on -one time for me as I'm looking for, like when I'm looking to grow. Whereas if I'm coming in at like, I feel like 20 to 30 is really, really common. And when you start getting above 30, you're starting to get more into the specialized or the more experienced, but I, I've had really good luck with like the 20 to 30 range for the majority of them. Yeah. Same. I was going to say, I thought 25 was, was pretty average just when I'm asking friends what they're paying yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Number eight. Yes. Number eight. Um, this is a little bit of a long one, but it could be truncated down to learn about your business finances. The longer version is learn about your business finances, how to manage your bookkeeping and how much money you should be withholding for taxes. And this actually really plays well into what you were saying earlier about the podcast editing. You're grateful that you know how to do it, but you don't need to do it. And I think there's a lot of power in having that for your bookkeeping. Maybe you start out by taking a course, by learning about your books, by understanding what you need to be doing, because then it makes it, I think, easier to outsource with confidence as your business, as you start to drop things off of your plate. You know, maybe that's one that you keep. I have some clients that really don't want to let go of that for a while. And that's fine. But when you get to a point where you're like, this doesn't serve me doing like, it's not what can I do? What is my sphere of genius that only I can do? And you start dropping everything else out. You then know if your bookkeeper gets hit by a bus and, or, you know, it gets sick or has children that call out, even there's all these things that can come in, you know, or if heaven forbid, there's something shady going on in your books, you have the knowledge to be able to sort of have the checks and balances in your business and to understand enough also to interview people that you're looking to hire to do those roles in your business, because you know, enough, you know, the questions to ask to an extent, like you may not be an expert, but you still know, oh, I'm working in QuickBooks or in zero with this thing in here. And I have these banks connected and I'm doing these things. You know, what does this look like? What does my profit and loss look like? You have enough knowledge to carry on a good conversation there. And I think that's really important. Well, how do you like the very basics of this is how do you think people should learn? Like, are there popular courses out there? Should they get 
I don't know, like a program that will teach them with tutorials. Super shameless plug. I have a course. I have several courses. Um, There are other bookkeepers as well, or finance professionals that put out courses. That was actually my labor of love. It took me almost a year and a half because it spanned two tax seasons where I don't do much in the course realm because I did it. And I was like, I don't like it. And then I redid the entire thing and launched it last year. But um, I have some really small, like, oh, I just need to do my income and expenses, you know, and it walks you through what you need to be categorizing as what, you know, it gives you a little tracker. It gives you your mileage. Like it covers the very basics. Um, and then I have a, it's a larger course. It's actually quite comprehensive. That covers like how to set up your accounting software, how to, you know, make sure that you're audit proof, how to be, you know, what receipts to keep, um, a little bit more sort of complicated accounting, how to register your business, how to 1099 people. If you work with contractors that need to be 1099, when you need to 1099 people, but looking for a course that fits with your learning style, whether it's live or static and running through that bonus points. And what I really recommend people do is if you're able, if you have that course for a lifetime, when you bring a VA on, or if you look to outsource that, that's something that a VA can do a lot of the bookkeeping tasks as well. And that can be really helpful because you can run them through the same course. So then the two of you are on the same page and it's much more seamless when you work together. What is your course called? Get your finance shit together. And that's, um, and where can they buy that on my website? Um, it's on the freelance CFO.biz under, I think it's under programs. I should know that there's payment plans, but I made it really affordable because I, I want it to be super accessible and it's self-paced. So you like, I have someone that's like, can I get in and like figure out how to do my taxes in time before the tax deadline in 12 days? And I was like, why? Yes, you can. You don't have to go through everything just to get the, to the one spot. And that's, That's what I really wanted with it. But yes, take the time, whether it's my course or someone else's course to run through and get the basics so that you feel really confident and you may get through this. And it happens about 20% of the time. And be like, I don't want to touch this ever again in my life. Like I have people that are like, oh my God, great. Like I'm empowered. I get this. This is fantastic. And then I have people that are like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, I don't care. I don't care if I'm not making money. I am outsourcing this. Um, But at least gives you the knowledge to know that. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I watched a lot of YouTube or I watched the tutorials for the different programs I've used or, you know, there's no, there's no shame in my Google game at all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm all about the YouTube tutorials for things. I love YouTube. Me too. I don't love YouTube (laughs) actually, but I do use it for tutorials all the time. Okay. Number nine. Yes. Number nine. Remember the 80-20 rule and use it when reviewing your profitability and your service offerings. So the 80-20 What is the 80-20 rule? Yes. (laughs) The 80-20 rule being that 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. This is known as Pareto's principle, I believe. And I have found this to be very true. So essentially, this can be transitioned in a lot of ways. Like 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your clients. Just like 20% of your profit comes from... 80% of your clients, like the low, you know, the low paying ones, or, you know, 80% of your, you get 80% of the way there with 20% of who you're using or what you're offering. So when you're looking at your services, and this is again, why I really recommend having separate books, but when you're looking at them, you need to be able to understand like, oh, I launched this mastermind, or I launched this hand lettering course, or I launched this group program, how much you feel like it made you may be very different from how much it actually made you, especially when you compare the amount of time and effort you put into it. And so I will look at that and I'll look at my service offerings every year and normally actually every quarter now, and I'll look at what I want to drop or what I want to do more of what's selling really well. 
what requires my input. Like if it's a static course, I'm a little bit more flexible. Um, if it's, you know, a mastermind or a one-on-one -on -one program, I'm probably not going to necessarily offer more of those, but it gives me information on like, oh, group programs are really hopping this year. I may look to do more of those because that's where a lot of the interest is coming from. And I may do less one-on-one -on -one, or I may push less on the courses. And it gives you a lot of information, but I think that can also be taken in so many different ways in your business. Like you can get, even when you look at your day-to-day your -day things that you're doing for your business, right? As you're looking to grow, like your email list or your social media or things like that, you can get probably 80% of the results by putting in, 20% of the things that need to be done. Like what are the big things that move you forward that get you most of the way there that get you the bulk with the least amount of work. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. So the tip is know your eighties and your twenties, like know what's actually moving the needle financially, um, know what takes up too much of your energy with little results. I don't know that mine's exact is truly 80, 20, but I definitely know what makes the most money. And I feel like there's a time and a place with that too. Like if my course, for example, that took a year plus of putting effort in when I wasn't making any money on it. And that's something that like, you know, you know, you have the lead up in, but if I'm pushing it and selling it, or like I had a service offering that I'd put out a one-on-one -on -one service offering that the amount of time that it took for the amount of money that it made was absolutely not worth it for me. Whereas I could cut down to 20% of my offerings, for example, and make 80% of what I was making. Like, where can you basically streamline things so that it's best serving your time, your energy, but also your bottom line? Yeah, that's so good. Now I'm going to be chewing on that all day because some of these things I know, like it's not that I don't know them. It's just that I don't probably do enough of an internal audit of if it's worth it or why do I keep doing that when it's not really moving the needle in any way? And then it gets complicated. It's not always so simple because like, let's say you spend a lot of time on social media and calling it work. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> you spend a lot of time on social media thinking, well, I have to grow my social media that helps grow my sales or my listenership or whatever. And you can sort of justify it without really doing a true audit of it. Do you know what I mean? Like really keeping track, taking a week. Right, without looking like, um, okay, yeah, where, where's, you know, where are my clients coming from? How many yes. ads have I had? Like, where's my traffic coming? Yeah, exactly. If you're on the social media, like I'm a big proponent of using the social media outlet that works the best for you and that has the best ROI and then repurposing content across other platforms that you've already put there. So then you're not having to, you know, put out unique content everywhere, but you're still engaging on the platform that either you find works the best for you or that works the best for your clients and your business. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I've done that too, but I, listen, I don't want to take a tangent, but I'm just going to say it because I think that people do are curious about these things. I'm pretty much have put all, most of my eggs in the Instagram basket because that's where my people are. And because that's what I personally enjoy. And so where, what you enjoy is what you're going to, you know, spend more time doing. Yeah. I, I do have Facebook pages and I am on Facebook at least once a day, but it's not like my personal favorite. And then I just had to drop Pinterest because it was very overwhelming to me for a while, but there are people who will handle Pinterest. Were I to hire a Pinterest VA, like you're saying, that could repurpose that content. Same is true. If you're a person who doesn't like any social media, it all overwhelms you from a business side. You can hire people that will make social media graphics for you, that will schedule them to post every time, you know, once a day or whatever your schedule is. And yeah, so that is 
that is available. But again, I feel like I just keep circling back to the exact same thing, but I, I want everyone to know that they're not alone if they have a lot of mental tangles around all of this stuff. It's not as cut and dry. You're not the only person who's like, why am I so overwhelmed by this? It shouldn't be that hard. It really is. It really is that complicated. I know freelance is hard. It's, it's, you're having to make, it's, you get decision fatigue, right? You get like, oh my gosh, like, I just need someone to tell me what to do. I think that's the biggest thing that I struggled with for years, especially I think being a woman, I feel like there's a lot more decisions that get made and I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a parent. And I feel like that can depend on your, you know, relationship dynamic. You can have decision fatigue from your personal life. And then you're in your business, you're starting your business and you're like, oh my God, I just, there are so many things that need my blessing on them or for me to pick something or me to choose something. And we, you know, my husband and I had a heart to heart a couple of years ago and I was like, during tax season, especially, or during my busy season, I don't care. I want to make sure I'm eating. I want to make sure that things are clean. Like I will hire someone and put them on a schedule, but like you get to make the decisions outside of this. I'm empowering you to take those right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't care. And that spawned a whole new conversation. And I think, especially if you haven't had a business in the past and you are partnered, that this is something that should be had as a discussion because you are taking on this new endeavor that is going to require more of you and not just more hours, but more mental capacity and burnout is a really real thing to try and manage and mitigate. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. That's true. We've had a lot happening in our personal life, which I've talked about online a little bit. Just, you know, we've moved. My husband's making a movie. I was launching the book, like all of these things. And I just got to be like, where I I was like, I, I can't think about dinner anymore. I'm done with dinner. Dinner time is a decision I cannot make every single night. Like I have to have help. We have to have a say, you know, like as a family, we always had to have like a family meeting about it. And it sounds silly, but it's really not because it does add up all like decision fatigue pours over your cup into all of the things like where you're just like, I have to not think about as much as I cannot. So like, I understand why people have a capsule wardrobe or like why Steve Jobs wore the same clothes every single day. Like I really do get it. I don't always get it. My life isn't always like this, but in the times when it is, why run yourself further into the ground? And I think that there's, you know, a shame aspect or a guilt aspect that can come into it because you're like, well, I don't, I don't have the capacity to do all the things. We're not meant to have the capacity to do all the things. Like we, we get to let stuff drop. That doesn't matter. Like you're choosing something else right now. You need to make decisions there. Like, where do you not have to make decisions? Kind of like with outsourcing things in your business, right? You know, where, where do you not, where do you personally not have to be the one to do these things? Where can we let go? And it it does, it makes a huge difference because it is so easy to have it sneak up on you. we've had fights about dinner. It's two of us. We can pull food out of the free, like, come on. But it's just, what do you want for dinner? You know, there's the meme that like, I didn't know I'd have to figure out what I wanted for dinner every night for the rest of my life. And it's like, well, yeah, it's kind of exhausting sometimes. And it sounds so small and so stupid and so insignificant, but it's just the culmination of all these decisions that get made for the day. And if you're going to have meat for dinner, do you have to get it out to thaw? Like, does that have to come out of the freezer? What else has to go with it? What are you doing? Like, you know, it has to be planned hours in advance, or you're going to be eating oatmeal. Sometimes it's oatmeal and that's okay. Sometimes it's oatmeal and that's okay. That would be, if we weren't talking about finances for most of this episode, that would be the title of this episode. (laughs) Okay. Number 10. Are we on number 10? Number 10. Number 10. Hire a professional to handle your books and taxes for you. As soon as you feel comfortable outsourcing, 
but make sure that they understand you, your industry, and that you feel heard by them. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that I see happen. Someone will come over to me and they will finally be like, oh my God, you get it. You listened. You have experience in my industry. Like you don't have to work with someone local to you, which is different than working with, you know, a lawyer, not necessarily that a lawyer has to be local to you, but you don't have to work with a finance professional that is local to you. You do need to work with someone ideally that understands your industry and that is empathetic, compassionate, and that you get along with and feel that you can actually, like, it's a really intimate thing to be discussing. You know, you're, they're in your numbers. They're trying to, you know, give advice, help you move forward, do taxes, do all of these things. And you need someone that you can trust, that you can build a rapport with, that, you know, has your back and that understands where you're at. And if you don't have that run, don't hire someone that you get less than stellar, I'm going to say vibes. I feel like I've said vibes 17 times, but don't hire someone that you get less than stellar vibes from because there are plenty of people that you can have out there to do your business taxes, to do your business bookkeeping and to help guide you as you're looking to grow. That's so good. I think that that makes a difference when you feel seen and understood and you don't feel belittled. Like if you didn't make any money, if you think that the person you're working with thinks that your idea is silly or anything like that, where you feel condescended to, or made, made to feel dumb because you messed up something. Yeah. Like that would makes a huge difference in your attitude and can make you want to quit or make you misstep again. Cause you get paralyzed, you know, like all of those things. I think that is so important. I do want to ask, because I'm just thinking a lot of what we're talking about does involve hiring someone Now, not always, I know we're talking about, you know, we're allowing for people to be at different steps of their, of their freelance journey, but because a lot of that, this does involve hiring, if you haven't saved enough money to be able to pay for this, do you recommend getting a loan? Like, what are you supposed to do if you're not in a place where you're like, I need this. This is actually going to be how I pay my rent. So I'm really having a hard time hiring. Yes. Okay. That's a great question. So, and that's why I said at the end of the day, if we took one thing away from this, the only thing that I'm going to say you have, okay, really you should do all of these should you have to do number five and open a separate bank account. I have had clients take out loans. I can't In good faith, if you have no additional income and this side hustle, this business, this endeavor is, is your sole income or sole household income, it's kind of a double-edged sword. On one side, it's even more important to make sure you have all of these right. On the other hand, you may not have the available capital to do that. I've had a couple of clients take loans. I don't generally recommend them. I recommend prioritizing these. Maybe you have a friend that's a lawyer or that's able to help, you know, recommend you to someone that's able to do a discounted consult for you or something along those lines to piecemeal these. And then as you start to become more profitable, prioritize what happens next. Okay. Well, when we get to XYZ, I'm going to buy a contract. When we get to XYZ, I'm going to have a 30 minute consult with someone. And there's a lot that you can do to move the needle forward without having to take it out. There are times and places where you need to take a loan out, just be careful with that uh, would be my biggest caution. I've taken loans out for my business. I've had clients take loans out for their businesses, but normally it's like where we've already have an established business. We know where our income's coming from. We know we can pay it because every loan's a risk, right? I mean, every you're normally, especially in this case, putting your personal credit and any personal assets on the line, generally when you're getting a loan and you're going to pay a little bit more in interest. 
But if you know, and are really confident in what you're doing, not to say that you can't do this if you're not confident, but if you're like, yes, this is it, I've got it. I have it taken care of, you know, maybe $5,000 gets you the runway to get going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A pretty small amount if you're going to do the loan route or, you know, it really circles back to number one, which is don't quit your day job. Keep the steady income until you're able to, you know, do freelance in a way that feels stable to you. Or if you don't have a day job to quit at the moment, think about doing something that will fund this, that will self-fund. Yeah. I've, I've had clients that do, you know, like Instacart or Uber or things, you know, just little things that they know is a really consistent, you know, almost more of a mindless task they can go do that's physical, that gets them out, that still makes money. So they still have the energy and the passion to work on their business. And that's worked really well for quite a few of them, but there's, again, there's Upwork, there's, you know, doing freelance, freelance work outside of your business, you know, Maybe, like I said earlier, you're a copywriter, but you're looking to move into digital marketing. Okay. So then we, you know, copyright for the day job and we build our business while we're doing that. But finding something where you can consistently bring in income is always preferable. But again, there's a time and a place for, you know, a loan. If it's, if it's something that you go into with your eyes really open. Okay. Well, Caitlin, this has been fascinating. I'm so glad that we did this. Like I said, I've never really talked about any of this kind of thing on 10 things to tell you before. And I think that it's like super valuable for women to be having these conversations, especially uh, because I do sometimes think this is a particular to women, but I've seen in my own circles of girlfriends and stuff that like after a certain age, we think we should know some of this and we didn't ever learn it. You know, like I studied literature in college. (laughs) Like I didn't, I really didn't learn some real basics. Um, And like Google is our friend, YouTube is our friend. But I also think like just having really frank conversations with people who do know what they're talking about is just so, so helpful. So thank you for being on the show. Tell us where we can find you if we want to hire you or follow you on social or any of the things we might want to get to know you better. Yes. So I am just like you, I think most active on Instagram. It's my preferred method of social media and that's Caitlin period Magnuson. And then you can, you know, contact me through there. I I talk about everything on there. It's educational, it's chickens, it's, you know, random travel adventures when things permit (laughs) travel wise um, and, you know, finance and service offerings. And then if you're looking for a course or to reach out to me directly, my website is a really great contact point and it's the freelance CFO.biz. Amazing. And as always, we will link to all of these things in our show notes, which you can always find at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. So thanks so much. This was amazing. Thank you. No, it was really, I always like talking about money. It never gets old. And you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.